Jonathan, we've uh, been watching what's happening in, in the crypto world over the last few months. It's been a while since we've done one of these crypto combo episodes, but uh, you and I have been talking. We're so deep in this crypto winter, and despite everything that's happening, Congress and regulators are only getting kind of more active. So we figured we got to get back in the room and, and have a bit of a conversation here. I thought this was a fantastic conversation with, with Nicole. What did you think? It, it was great. It was so timely, like you said. And this is our first episode post kind of the uh, the crypto meltdown that happened recently. And Nicole is especially well positioned to to, com- to you know provide commentary on this. She's the director of FinTech at the Center for Financial Markets at the Milken Institute, one of the most connected think tanks in the world. Uh, she has a long background in the financial services space, and she does a great job of, uh, you know, we kind of go through what the implications are in terms of, you know, regulation and legislation. And she does just a great job of putting everything in perspective from a macroeconomic standpoint with, with the, the headwinds that we face with inflation and economic growth. Yeah, we covered a lot in this episode. I think listeners will will enjoy it. We um, we get into the, the the causes of the crash and w- whether and when we'll get out of this, as well as um, we talked about stable le- coin legislation. That uh, when we were sitting here recording, where Nicole, it was happening. Now it's off for a few more weeks, so we'll we'll keep a close eye on it. But um, for all our listeners, I think you'll I think you'll love this update from our crypto combos series. Uh, here is our episode with Nicole Valentine from uh, Milken. Hope you enjoy. From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington D.C., this is the HPS Insights podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast analyzing the current events facing the business and political communities brought to you by Hamilton Place Strategies. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. I'm a partner here at HPS. And today I'm bringing back our crypto combos. I'm joined by my colleague and good friend, Jonathan Graffio, a managing director here at the firm. And we have a very special guest uh, coming to us from Milken. Nicole Valentine is the fintech director at the Center for Financial Markets. Nicole, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Brian and Jonathan, for having me. Um, I just want to say that these are very exciting times. You know, the world is having more conversations about money, currency, technology, and the future of finance than ever before. You know, it's a reminiscent of the wide adoption of the use of the internet and our adoption of engaging with information in a tech format. It has transformed our society, and we're look we're talking about societal transformation. I just want to share that I'm from a generation that has had physical encyclopedias in my home. I, I, I had a checkbook and now we're talking about digital wallets and that this is over a 40 year time span. So I'm really excited to see what tech will do in the next 40 years. And I appreciate being on your show. It's great to have you. And I, I noticed you used the past tense on that checkbook reference. I, I actually still have a checkbook that is uh, rarely used, but um I guess maybe I'm one of the few with a digital wallet and an actual good old fashioned wallet and checkbook. <laughs> but um, uh, great to have you here. I want to uh, jump right into it because I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation, and the clock's going to run out on us before we know it. Um, we, I, as I was telling you before the show, we did a, a whole series of, of crypto convos this 
winter and into the spring. And it was great timing in the sense that DC was just so excited about this industry. Certainly, there were folks who had been following this for a while, and there were plenty of skeptics, but it, it was just all the buzz and everyone wanted to talk about crypto and everyone was starting to learn about it on the Hill and starting to engage with it. If you're at a firm like ours or um, think tank, like, like Milken, and we haven't done one in a few weeks and now we're kind of in another crypto winter, if you will. And I'm curious your sense on, on where we are and what this meltdown might mean for kind of the landscape we're operating in here. Yeah, I mean, I, I too, I came to Milken in March. And so that was a high time in the market still. I went to Miami for the Bitcoin week where there were over 35,000 people there. And um, now in the last few weeks, we're seeing, you know, this broad based sell off of digital assets. I would say that, you know, it's a combination of a, a perfect global economic storm. You know, there's a lot of market volatility um, based upon, you know, post-pandemic issues, ongoing war in Ukraine, and fears across the globe. You know, we have supply, supply chain issues, we have inflation. And so I think that the market is down for lots of sectors, fintech included and tech included. And, you know, crypto has also just had some very remarkable failures that have made the news. Um, you had, you know, the collapse of Terra USD and Luna tokens. We've had, right. you know, Celsius froze withdrawals and three hours hedge fund is being liquidated. And so those also impact the marketplace and this, you know, crypto confidence, you know, in the market really is down. Nicole, I'm curious as to how you see in light of everything that you just talked about, the macro headwinds, um, the volatility in, in crypto markets, all of that. How do you think it plays into uh, what do you think its impact is on legislative efforts on Capitol Hill? We know the regulators uh, are all still in the process of responding to President Biden's executive order. Curious as to how you factor all these things in and what the, the path ahead looks like. Yeah, I'd love to just give you an ex you know a specific example. You know, just in staple coins directly. I mean, in April, Senator Toomey released a discussion draft of legislation establishing a new regulatory framework for payment stable coins. It included you know establishing a new federal license um, designed specifically for stable coin issuers. It um, referenced uh, consumer protection around disclosures regarding reserve assets back in the stable coin. And you know mo most recently over the weekend, you know we've had some information come out around the Financial Services Committee Chair Maxine Waters and Ranking Member Patrick McHenry um, and, a, and a high ranking Treasury official that are you know looking to pass some focused stable coin regulations. So you can see the direct correlation between the Terra Luna collapse and these algorithmic stable coins and kind of what are they what what's backing them to um, the federal government stepping in and saying let's figure out what we need to do to regulate to protect consumers let me um I want to jump back to something you you said in your opening comments Nicole and then I I promise we will dive back into policy because that's where that's where I want to go as well but uh, I've been saying myself, this reminds me of the late 90s. And I'm curious for, for both of you, I, I view the market as down, but not out. This is not the end of crypto to me. This is not the end of, of DeFi and, and Web3, and we can go on and on. Uh, it really strikes me as 
we're going to figure out in this particular crypto winter who was real, maybe who wasn't real, and there'll probably be more ups and downs. But do you both, do you agree with me on that? I, I do. I think you put it in a nutshell nicely when you said down, but not out. You know, I think back to when the Biden administration put out the executive order, and I think the entire market, rightfully so, took that as a signal of a legitimization, like they're being taken very seriously at the highest levels and here to stay. So it, it does feel like that. I, I think you're right. There's a lot of volatility. People are still trying to, frankly, get their arms around what crypto is up here, policymakers included. Um, so I, I do think it's definitely here to stay with the future and Web3. I think you're probably right, Brian. Now, I do think, Jonathan, to your um, earlier question and Nicole, uh, nothing wakes up policymakers like a little bit of a crisis or or a market downturn. So I... Um, Maybe I should first know where we are recording this on, on Monday, July 25th. And as Nicole noted, by the time we, we hit publish, um, we may have a stablecoin bill that's gone through at least the, the house financial services. But it does strike me that, that a year ago, DC was barely talking about this. There, there were maybe a couple members of Congress. I'll give credit to. Lummis and Cinema and McHenry and others, um, and Gary Gensler, obviously, with his background and literally taught the course at MIT, uh, understood this stuff. But until the infrastructure bill and the amendment on crypto that caused a lot of the industry to wake up and start engaging, um, there wasn't a lot of education being done down here. It was a little bit, I, I've heard it called the Wild West. To me, the Wild West ended with Biden's executive order. If the president of the United States feels he needs to weigh in on crypto and say, let's get some rules in place, this thing's real and not going anywhere, then then I think the Wild West is over. Um, Nicole, maybe I can, I can start with you. Um, where do you think we will see and how long maybe do you think it'll take for some of these regulations and legislation to move its way through to put some guardrails around the industry? You know, in terms of, you know, if I had a crystal ball to say, when, when is this going to happen? It's, it's not if, it's when. I mean, there are going to be some guardrails. There are going to be some modernization of existing regulations and laws. And so, you know, I think there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot more attention on what needs to happen for um, this uh, industry to be innovative as also have clarity. And I, I think that, you know, we had an event uh, at Milken um, uh, in May and the uh, CEO of Coinbase, Brian Armstrong spoke and he said, you know, one in five Americans have some exposure to Bitcoin. I mean, that's, an, that's very important um, because, you know, that those are constituents, those are people all across uh, the country that are engaged with this asset class. And it's important that our um, legislators and regulators are taking into account um, the fact that there will be wider adoption as, as the asset class moves forward. Yeah, it's like we all know we were all around for the financial crisis back in 08 and 09, and that nothing spurs action quite like a crisis, especially when consumers really take a hit. I think that crypto before, maybe before the crisis was still a little too 
kind of abstract for a lot of people. People are still trying to kind of wrestle with it, get their arms around it. But then you see the the impact on consumers. There was there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal this weekend that illustrated that very well. You know, pe- talking about people losing a hundred thousand dollars because they put money into quote unquote crypto banks, thinking that the the regulations and the consumer protections were were similar. Um, and of course they weren't. So, I, you know, Nicole, I know that you, you focus a ton on the consumer angle of this. And I, I'm wondering how you think, you know, this impact of this crisis really impacts consumer protections going forward. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the speculative market, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of attention on um, education and a disclosure and information for consumers. Um, if you're getting into a particular uh, on exchange or you are in a particular coin, um, just what you need to know about that um, is, you know, in, in bright, bright line letters instead of in fine print and in, in plain English in ways that people can understand. And so I think that that you're, we're going to see a lot more of emphasis on that. And then, you know, at Milken, you know, from a consumer perspective, we are also interested in a lot of um the underlying value of crypto and blockchain. So I would love to talk to you about, you know, just what what we think is also an important conversation around how consumers can win um, with kind of this uh, digital asset class and where the, where the other use cases are for it. Yeah, I, I would love to jump into that and, and hear more. You do, you do hear a lot and get a little stuck in Washington about who's got what bill and who's, you know, taking credit for it and where are things moving or you get the opposite side of, you know, stories of ex investor lost their shirt. And some of that, I I won't get into anyone's own details, but you know, there was a bit of a craze during COVID and I'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't make smart investments as we know, there were a lot of Bitcoin millionaires too, who clearly made some smart investments, but, um, yeah, please tell us more about what um, Milken is doing in respect to, and what are you seeing as kind of the benefits for consumers going forward? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So I I actually lived overseas a few times. I've I've lived in London. I've lived in Lagos, Nigeria. I've lived in Doha, Qatar for a little while. And you know, I think about the times that I was there. You know, in terms of being able to move money across across the world, like I experienced huge fees taken out of uh, money that I that I brought from one place to the other, and I think what um, currency as you know, cryptocurrency as a payment as a use case, you know, definitely the advantages that I've seen are you know, twenty four seven transactions, you know, instant cross border payments and settlements, faster, less expensive. You know, the, 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 you know, eliminating the intermediary and that's, you know, that's loaded. Um, but yes, in, you know, eliminating the intermediary, um, transparency on, on a distributed ledger technology and, you know, you know, the, the use case of digital wallets, like assets can be transported, the portability of assets. And I think those are very interesting um, technology inv- advancements on currency in and of itself. And I think it just behooves us to one, examine it, analyze it, understand it, and figure out how this can be, um, these, these benefits can be more widely um, utilized across the world. There is definitely part of the financial and services industry, and, and all three of us know that industry pretty well. Um, 
that is ripe for innovation and disruption. I mean, you mentioned cross-border payments. We've had a guest on before, and I, I hope I get their story right, but you, you could just pack $9,999 into a suitcase and jump on a plane, and it would be easier and cheaper and faster than trying to wire your parents or your cousin or whoever $10,000 across across the country, um, across the globe, excuse me. Um, so, so you do see what some of these companies are doing with blockchains and, and moving money in that sense, um, the different ledgers that have emerged. There, there's really a lot of ripe innovation there. And you know, not to mention just the world becoming more and more digital and, you know, all sorts of transactions. We talk a lot about money, but we've had another guest on talking about when you buy your first home and go get title insurance, because maybe somebody decades or century ago have owned your house and have a claim to your house. And it sounds insane that someone like me in high school used to go sit in a registry of deeds and look up those records and do that when, why can't that be pretty instant and traceable on some type of electronic record like a, like a blockchain. But um, so I do think there's a lot of opportunity here and um, I'm curious. So you guys see a lot of the promise. What are you all doing here in DC to kind of focus on some of those issues. I'd love to hear more about some of the events or programs you have coming up. Thank you. I mean, as, as you said, we're, we're a think tank, you know, we're a, you know, nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank and our chairman, Mike Milken, uh, likes to say we're a think and do tank. So we are very active um, on lots of, uh, lots of levels. Um, we convene, we bring stakeholders together, policymakers, industry leaders, to have conversations around um, particular topics that we can move the needle on, uh, whether it's moving through to a policy recommendation or to an innovation conversation. Um, we also have uh, white papers and research that we conduct on these areas. Um, I would say that what we're doing next in this, in this space is we're focusing a lot on Web3. And Web3 is an important area for us. Um, we're focused on the fact that Web3 is the next generation of the internet. And we're gonna be releasing a series of papers on, on a few key topics in the area, uh, decentralized finance, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, decentralized identity, DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, digital real estate and decentralized storage. And you know, all these are very exciting innovation areas for us. And we wanna to continue to examine and understand them as the internet changes its course from web two to web three. So those are some things that are really exciting um, that we're working on. And um, as you know, at Milken, we have a great group of experts and economists that we work with, and we have a very active FinTech Advisory Council, and we release, we release a biweekly newsletter called FinTech in Focus, where we talk about these issues on a biweekly basis. So we're very much involved in making sure that we're at the pulse of the cutting edge technology, financial technology innovation that's happening, and we're here to educate, engage, convene, and make sure there's an action-oriented policy agenda that is focused on the end user and making sure the end user benefits from a financial inclusion perspective, from an access to capital perspective and an economic empowerment perspective. So I spend my time doing that. And, you know, it's just been a privilege to talk to you about that today. Yeah, that's cool. That's Great. Say a little bit more about the, uh, we've talked about this before. I think it'd be really useful for folks, the uh, financial regulation tracker 
that you guys have. If you'll just say a little bit more about it, where folks can find it, because it's such a good resource. So we started a financial regulation track tracker and uh, my team is kind of rebooting it and we're turning it into a global financial regulation tracker because we believe that, you know, there's there's what's happening on Capitol Hill and there's what's happening around the world, what's happening right. in Singapore, Australia, you know, Switzerland and, you know, just across the world. And so we want to also just make sure that we are tracking that information. Um, we started it in, in, in internally, and we will be releasing some information about um, the tracker in the coming future. But our, our FinTech and Focus newsletter will have across, you know, our, our, our content uh, information about what's happening around the world you know, from a regulation perspective. Okay, last question. You, um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, you... You mentioned the great work you guys are looking at at Web3, NFTs, digital real estate. Um, I won't speak for Jonathan. I'm personally excited about all of that stuff. I imagine that is a monumental task to go educate Congress on any one of those, never mind, never mind all of them. How do you, how do you all think about that? How do you get in front of Congress and staffers and get them to engage with you on digital real estate? So it, quite interestingly enough, you mentioned Congress, you mentioned the staffers. We, we, see, we see the staffers as, as a great ally in this, in this work because they can teach us a thing or two. I mean, they're, they're, talk about the generations that are already engaging with digital wallets and digital real estate and it, it making you know, investments in the space. You know, there's, there's a generation out there that's doing it. And we believe that we're not talking to uh, a, a, a stakeholder group that is not in the know. We think that they are in the know. It's just the, the people that are in the know are in their offices. And so we're just looking to tap into to that group and make sure that we are all using what we call the same taxonomy. You know, if we're talking about virtual assets versus versus digital assets, what is what's the difference? Are we talking about particular areas of, you know, asset backed or, or fiat backed, what, what, the conversations we need to be having the same uh, definitions on the table while we're talking about um, moving the needle on writing policy and legislation. So I'm that's curious, something that's very important to us. How, where do you think that uh, kind of unified taxonomy stands right now? Uh, you know, do, do you think we're, are people speaking the same language right now or is it still a wide gap? I think there's a gap. I think that that there's a gap and, and we're looking, we're trying to fill that gap. I mean, we have on our website, milkeninstitute.org, we have a, uh, a taxonomy on digital assets that, that was started before I, before I arrived. And, you know, in reading through it, it, it kind of outlines every organization that um, describes and defines a particular um, definition. And so you, you'll find that, you know, you might have you know, uh, the Financial Stability Board um, have a different uh, or, or varied, uh, you know, definition than the SEC. And, and so we just want to just call out, like, this is how you all are discussing it in your papers or in your um, communication. And let's just make sure that we are, we are all on the same page as to what, what this means. And I think um, we're getting there, but I think we have some, some, more, some ways to go in terms of the conversations and the nomenclature around this. Yeah, long way to go, but it's so important to get that nomenclature, everybody on the same page. It's yes. true. It's true. Um, well, I, I lied a minute ago. Let me ask one last question, and I'm, but I'm going to throw it at both of you. And then I, if you hold me to it, I guess I'll share my thoughts. Um, we are 
a couple months from from a midterm election. We are all by nature political uh, people. Where do you think the conversations that are happening right now go if, as predicted, we end up with a Republican Congress working with a Democratic president and his administration? Does this I'll give you two options. Does this stall out for two years or do you think there's real room for Biden and Gensler and others to work with a McHenry and and folks on something for this industry? I, it's really tough to say. I think in terms of, you know, I come from the Senate and so I always think beginning and end with the Senate, it's still going to be very closely divided even if it does flip. And it's so hard to get that floor time for something where there's not critical mass yet, or you just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't use the floor time on it. And I just don't think, I mean, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of, a lot of things going on, but it doesn't seem like there's critical mass behind any particular bill yet. So even if something were to move in the house, um, I don't know. I guess it's it's tough for me to see something going through really closely divided Senate right now, especially as but Brian, we know it very well. You know, they come out of midterms and everybody starts thinking about the presidential election. So the politics and it, it, it really right. never it, it really never turns the volume never turns down. So I call me pessimistic, but interested in what Nicole thinks. I'm just going to say, look, I come, like I said, I come from a nonpartisan uh, nonprofit think tank. And so we work with everyone across the aisle and we're, we're looking to move the needle and work with anyone, either any party um, that um, has, is, is at the table on what's the future of finance and making sure that we have these, you know, financial inclusion, access to capital elements and equity elements in the space and regulatory elements in place. And some of these things, you know, we'd like to think are not partisan. You know, some of these areas should be um, nonpartisan. They should be, um, you know, for the stability of our financial markets, for innovation to occur, and for entrepreneurs to be able to go out into the space and have guardrails um, that they can clearly see so they can move their businesses forward. This is not a Republican thing, a Democrat thing. It should be a people thing. And I think that's, um, I'm just blessed to be able to work in a space where that's my focus. And I will talk to anyone and and work with anyone to make sure that that happens. What's your take, Brian? I'll admit I'm probably a little closer to Nicole, but um, maybe for some more partisan reasons. I I do think, I think the innovation is happening. I think it's going to continue to happen and you're going to see this passing by Congress where they're going to feel the need to catch up. I'm a little more optimistic on the Senate for probably my own bias, uh, having worked up there, but also the work that Lummis and Gillibrand and others have done. I've been struck by how this has not become a partisan issue, with the exception of a few extremes, maybe in both parties. There, there are folks leading the way in the Democratic Party and in the Republican Party on these issues. So, um, I think Gary Gensler is going to sit in the hot seat for a good <laughs> six to twelve months, but I don't think that's breaking news here. Um, so I'm. I'm optimistic in the sense that it'll just keep growing where they'll have no choice but to but to put some guardrails around it. 
But with that, uh, Nicole, this was a, a wonderful conversation. And maybe on that last point, we'll have to have you back to see which one of us was was right or wrong or where <laughs> things are uh, six to 12 months from now. But thank you so much for, for joining us on HPS Insights. Thanks, thank Nicole. This, thank you so much. This was, uh, this was fun. Fun talking about crypto. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite topics. So I enjoy it. Jonathan, as always, thanks for, thanks for jumping in with me. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of HPS Insights. You can learn more about um, our work at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com, but we will also share more on Nicole's work and the great work that uh, she is doing over at Milken in our show notes. Be sure to check that out and we will be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.